passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live. Yes. It is the Cafe Hangout. I'm John Pollock, joined as always by Wei Ting, but we have a third chair occupied for the entire show, Damien Abraham. It is the Cafe Shit. <laughs> and we have a fourth voice that is joining Sorry. us from Wei's laptop as well. Damien Abraham, host of The Wrestlers on Viceland, here and in living color. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, anytime I get to hang out in the hangout is a great day for me. Well, I feel that. Look at this with a with a Chris Wolf shirt. You themed out your attire for today because we're going to be chatting about uh, the Stardom episode that aired on Wednesday night. Yep. And lots to discuss. We're going to be going through all the news. And this is also a chance. Uh, we've been doing these segments with Damien, but this is a, a rare chance to do it live that uh, we'll be able to take calls for Damien as well. So if you do want to call in uh, throughout the show, we will be opening up the Cafe Hangout phone line. So you can give us a call at 732-800-4423, or you can Skype in, uh, just search for Post Wrestling. We'll be taking your phone calls, Skype calls, and it is the start of a very, very busy weekend going on. Uh, are you going to be able to catch anything this weekend, Damien? A little bit. Where, where, first of all, where are you off to? Uh, I'm, t- I'm going to Portugal right after we get off this conversation. I'm flying to Portugal for, for 20 hours. Wow. I'm coming back. What's but in Portugal? I'm playing Primavera Sound, which is a, a Spanish festival, but a couple years ago they started running a, a, like a sort of adjacent festival in Porto. So we're playing, and then Interpol's playing right after. No way. Yeah. Holy shit. I wish I could be there. <laughs> I popped way. Sorry. Where'd you go? <laughs> I love fucked up, but man, Interpol. No, that man, was the only, like, man. it's rare. I've, I've There's a couple bands I've stumbled on over the years that I can pop way with. <laughs> but... But we're not here to talk. No, we're not. Talk about turn on the bright lights. We're here to talk about. <laughs> no, I want to go through a few news items sure, first. Okay. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, of course, Damien can uh, can uh, pop in with us. I guess kind of the most interesting story going into the Super Showdown card on Friday is the fact that uh, Natalia, Alexa Bliss, and Renee Young are all there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Satin had reported that you know the WWE had been attempting for a long time to be putting together a match for this show and it seems that as of right now it's up in the air if the match will actually happen but Natalia and Alexa Bliss are in essence there on standby if they are called upon to be able to do a match on Friday or not and you know with Renee Young being part of the Crown Jewel broadcast she's obviously going to be doing Friday's show it seems that now it is just a question of when not if that there is going to be a women's match which is a departure from the reaction that the Greatest Royal Rumble received when they aired the ad featuring Sasha Banks and Carmella. And there was a lot of outrage over that. Um, Damien, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on like just what this show represents, the WWE's involvement in it, and how you kind of look at the third show. Because there was certainly, I think, a lot of anger towards the Crown Jewel and in such 
close proximity to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you just feel about what the show is on Friday? Well, I think we've talked about it before, even that I've, I've you know, it, they're just going to try and wear people down. They're going to wear, try and wear out the outrage and just kind of keep going back. And they're going to, they've made it pretty clear that any response is going to be met with them continue, continuing to run shows there. And, you know, their great PR victory will be them being allowed to have this women's match on the show. But that's almost like... It's an easy defense to yeah. be able to to put this up as like, here is your change. And it, I, I think it can be it can deflect from a lot of other issues that I hope yeah. people are still focused upon. Yeah, no, if they get this, this will be their moral victory and they'll be able to, you know, wave this one when people fire any critiques about any of the other issues that are around them running a show there right now. But there's also, you know, I think people could answer back like, you know, people are like, oh, they're running a show there that's going to be, you know, Saudi propaganda. But it's like they also run shows consistently that are, you know, American propaganda as well. So, you know, they'll go where the money is. I think they've made that abundantly clear as a company. Wait, do you expect um, that to be reintroduced on the show on Friday? Kind of the the more like the the political messaging that we got in the first show that was absent Crown Jewel. I do not personally. I don't think you'll see the level of you know. Um, uh, this is a, a great for you know. Okay, if they have a women's match going on, I think it totally changes maybe what that show looks like. I think you will see a lot of messaging in regards to that championing that as sort of you know. The social change that they're they're helping implement. I don't think though you'll be seeing like videos uh, talking about you know MBS or anything like that uh, on this show. I still think it's it's pretty deep in in hot water right now. The subject. I think it's going to be interesting if, if we do or not. Like ultimately, like there's a reason they are spending so much money on this. Like this is very much like a promotional machine. That's what the WWE probably is part of the argument agreeing for, to for, be for them to put women on. You know, is 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 the the ability for them to be able to spread this message that Saudi Arabia is a changed place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think it's going to be very interesting how we, we look back. That I, I I have a lot of respect for people that are not on this show by their own decision, like a Brian Danielson. Uh, the circumstances of which Kevin Owens is not going on to this sh- uh, to, for this trip. That I, I think it's very easy if you're a performer that you can that you can rationalize this decision and maybe not even put much thought into it. It's, it's another show. It's a nice payday and I can justify it by just saying it's my job that here are two people that they are actively walking away from doing a show like this. And it could be, I don't think they'd receive any criticism for doing the show. I don't think that the performers necessarily are kind of put in that, in that light, but they were two that made this very strong statement, even if they're not going to talk about it publicly. Do you feel like if do you feel like more would do it if they had the option to? You know what I mean? Like, how do we know how many people willingly uh, are like Kevin Owens and, and Daniel Bryan, I suppose, maybe have a certain level of say? I, I don't know. But, you know, like, let's say um, I don't think it's a situation where people are mandated to do this show, but I think it's heavily it's implied like anything that uh, do I want to be the one to say I'm not doing this show and what repercussions come with that? I mean, we look at, you know, when, when Rob Van Dam didn't want to go um, to Iraq that one year for one of the tribute to the troops, it's like, is, is there uh, it, they may say that's absolutely, you're right. No one is forced to go, but do you, if you're lower on the card, if you were, I mean, pick pick out a name that maybe is not of a, a certain level. But again, I think that a lot of talent, live with kind of that that worry about what is this 
don't rock the boat. And these guys, regardless of their positions, they're they're choosing to put their their beliefs ahead of what could be just another payday and a very good one at that. Well, I think also the you know the difference is when Rob Van Dam said he didn't want to go. It's like, well, where are you going to go? Like TNA, and now it, there's other options. You know, like for these guys, they have a little bit more le- or sorry leverage in these situations now. They could be like, well, yeah, we're we're okay. Yeah, you're going to try and force me to go. I'm not going to go, and then I'm going to leave. And then what are you going to do? So I think they're mm-hmm. they're going to be just fine. If uh, we we do get a women's match on Friday, subsequent Saudi Arabia shows, do you think we will start to see them look more like regular WWE shows? It depends how it's received in the country. You know, I think it depends how that's received. I think that I think that's totally out of WWE's hands. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's not as though it's a case where female entertainers have not gone to that country and performed, mm-hmm. but. We also saw what the reaction was like just for an ad playing yeah. uh, last year. So now that might be because of uh, certain, you know, uh, what what Carmella was wearing as a part of that ad. Yeah. Now, no, no doubt if Natalia and um, um, Alexa Bliss wrestle, they will probably be wearing similar uh, outfits to what they uh, Sasha and Alexa wore in the match in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. If that is the issue, you know, could we still see, uh, you know, a a card filled with half women's talent, the entire women's roster, but with different outfits for next shows? I think that would probably be the compromise. Do you think differently, Damien? Oh, I think it just depends, like, what the reaction is uh, from the kingdom. You know, like, if they get get an email or an email, a letter condemning it the next day well, certainly they know. have to approve it in order for this to take yeah place. but even last time there was there was wasn't there like or maybe it was after the first show remember afterwards there was like letters of condemnation maybe it was because of the ad that ran but there was yeah. like this whole thing that mm-hmm. was you know and i think the ad did not run with their approval no and i think i, I don't know it, it depends how it's received within the country you know like i think that would be it's one thing to have you know like uh, a performer go there who's a woman and sing it's gonna be another thing how it's received when they're actually yeah. like engaged in in a wrestling match I'm actually surprised that there is not more attention on the Sami Zayn story. That that yeah. to me is one yep. that yep. Um, at some time you would assume that he's going to eventually talk about this, whether it's years down the road. And I just think that it's it's just such an awful um, decision that that's been made. And it's when the WWE was actually asked about this last year and they gave like this very vague statement, um, not confirming it but pretty much stating that we are going to respect local customs and you know in essence that like not denying it you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. and you know he's he was injured the last show he's not on this show uh not expected to be on this show and i i just think that that's uh man i think it's a really hard one to 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 rationalize if you're wwe and not expect it to one day kind of be a bigger story than it, it appears to be right now should be a big story, but I guess in the context of Saudi Arabia's offenses, it's it's so low yeah. on the list, right? Like, yeah. I mean, not the, you know, if, but ones this, that WWE, it's like yes, of course, you know, is ultimately compromising their their own thoughts on their own beliefs in 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 order to to make this deal as smooth well, as if possible. They're willing to shut out the entire women's roster. I mean, I I I don't believe they'd have any issue shutting out one guy of Syrian descent, as as shitty as that sounds. Um, and that's kind of the thing with with you know this story. If even if Alexa and Natalia are able to perform, I mean, it's obviously still just one thing amongst like a whole litany of probably far far worse offenses. That well, that's where I look at this is being kind of, de- of deflective of this. Like, 
in in a very cold and calculated way, it is a it is a very smart move to make because I think it's going to take a lot of the attention away from all the other things that you can dig a little deeper and understand those issues because now we have something to point to that's mm-hmm. going to silence a lot of people and, and give give a defense for those that want to defend now. Well, maybe that'll be next year's gimmick, you know? Like, we, we can allow Sami Zayn to wrestle this year. Yeah. And after that, it's like Finn Balor can wear a shirt. <laughs> you know, I think uh, I also want to say that Sami Zayn did announce yesterday that he is yes increasing his or returning once again to Sam's underscore USA to launch a mobile clinic in Syria. Um, so I guess you know that his is his response maybe in a way is that he's once again renewing his commitment to to help people that are are being in you know hurt in a very very tragic conflict right now. So yeah it's a difficult situation i'm sure for him to to be a part of i mean know. he's a guy that has uh years on his deal and and i think it's uh something that you know it's it's just unfortunate here's a guy that is told uh you are not allowed to do your job today um through absolutely no uh fault of your own it's mm-hmm. um you happen to be born with this ancestry and i think i think that's just uh it's messed up it really. blows yeah. my mind yeah and, and and i also will say that uh one of the most incredible unique people I've ever met in wrestling. Like, just like the way he looks at the world, you can tell this must be destroying him that he can't really talk about it. Do, uh, do you know when he might have resigned? He signed know. last year, um, right around his injury, and he's under for, I want to say, three years. Now, from, you, from last year. Do you find it interesting that despite maybe going through this last year that he decided to resign? Um, I was surprised. I, I think it's... Uh, I can't remember the exact month that he signed, but it is an interesting one. Um, you know, it was also around the same time last year Kevin Owens signed, and he's he signed a five year deal. So it's like also, both of those two are like locked in. But yeah, you knew that. I don't know also, how much. We're also talking about a landscape where AEW did not yet exist. Well, that's yeah. what it. But yeah. the idea of AEW, like you could see it kind of forming at that point. But um, like Owens did not surprise me at all. Like I think like this is where this guy wants to be. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, I don't know Zayn enough to really be able to to guess if that's something that would have been on his mind but you also have to remember that like how many uh how many ideas of these landscaping changing uh, promotions have come around versus wwe that i know it's going to be here Mm -hmm. and for many people like that is that is their the peak of where they want to be they don't want to go to japan they don't want to be back like kevin owens did not want to be on the independent scene by the end when he finally got signed well even for something like sammy for for syria you're going to have the biggest stage if you're associated with the wwe mm-hmm. for better or for worse so. yeah yeah and i i will uh i wouldn't be surprised if one day he decides to to leave because he definitely seems like someone who really enjoys traveling really enjoys just waking up in a different place every day and uh i could see him going back and doing the indies again like you know not ever talking to him about it or anything Man, you like could that. have moxley juice robinson and Sami Zayn, like the anti-social media like faction beyond just the tag <laughs> team i mean we could have a whole faction now uh have you did you get to follow any of the uh best of the super junior stuff the other day a with, little with bit moxley's debut and osprey's win yeah i watched i watched that on the uh the, the old new japan network and stuff and i think uh it's amazing to watch him back there. You know, like this is, I think, what we all thought it was going to be like when Moxley showed up in the WWE, and, the, and mm. instead we got the Shield, which, you know, like I it was guess we'll cool. be, it was it'll cool. be remembered fondly. But this yeah. is not what he is. You know, like he was the guy that was in CZW with power tools on people's heads. You know, like this is a guy who has, you know, the, all the, you know, like that's what I wanted. He has this edge. You know, did he have a screener of your deathmatch episode that's airing next week? <laughs> Maybe he got some. <laughs> 
be a future old. subject. I, I would, I've never met him. I would love to meet him. I, I, he's one of those people that I'm, I'm really fascinated by to see like, oh. what, what's he like? <laughs> what? I'll tell you what he's like in real life. Go watch that YouTube clip of him doing Dusty and Terry Funk, where he's doing dialogue from a, a movie as those two. And it is like, <laughs> I watch that thing once a month. It's like my favorite John Moxley clip. It's fantastic. Um, just looking here, this is uh, this is the updated lineup for the card on Friday. Uh, we're not going to be doing our, our typical preview here, but we'll list the matches here. We do have Triple H and Randy Orton, uh, 55 years in the making. A 50-man battle royal, which the aesthetics of which I'm, I'm very curious by. Bill Goldberg versus The Undertaker. Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley. Finn Balor versus Andrade for the Intercontinental title. Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon. Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler for the WWE title. Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin with a likely involvement of Brock Lesnar for the Universal title. Lars Sullivan against the Lucha House Party. And on the kickoff show, we're finally getting the Usos versus The Revival. All right. It's a show. That is your show. That is it. You will be busy in uh, Portugal, and I guess we'll not be uh, tuning into the Super Showdown. Yeah, but I've got a PVR. I'll watch when I get when I come back. I wonder how long this show is going to be. It's listed from like two. Uh, well, the kickoff is at one, oh. and then the main show is listed from two till six. Even when you read through the card, it felt long. It's ten matches. Really, only I, I would say the only interesting thing from like a fan's perspective, if I have to look at the show like that. Is Goldberg versus Undertaker? I think there's still, you know, two protected, I think, uh, characters in the in the company. I'm most interested to see how how long it goes, how long that match goes. Yeah, like if it's more of a morbid curiosity than yeah. than a. <laughs> I'm really they excited can make to it see this. Good though, you know, if they keep it short, like if they keep it to both men's strengths. Yeah, they entrances. Could. Yeah, finishing moves. Done. I'm thinking two of these guys. These two guys just got off a plane. These two guys haven't been wrestling that much recently. As, as far as we know, maybe they've been constantly training. This is Taker's first match since the last Saudi Arabia card. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I would, I'll take a bet. On this Will thing. it be as good or better than WrestleMania? I would. Equal to or exceeding <laughs> WrestleMania. How, let's talk about, like, what a weird tagline. Like, you could tell that's from the Vince direction, right? And they yeah. seem to have. Not even promoting it. It'll be better than WrestleMania. It will be either equal to or it will exceed. <laughs> like, we're, we're giving ourselves a range. How awkward. And why the need to be that specific about how how good it is? Because you know? they, they're just hedging their bets. You know, they don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. Hedging the over Michael Cole at the end, whatever the closing <laughs> shot is, that it exceeded WrestleMania. Yeah. It was equal to WrestleMania. Yeah, it was equal. I think it's fair to say that was just <laughs> as good. I swear to God, if they're referring to the length, that would be a killer. Oh, yeah. Um, so on SmackDown Tuesday night, uh, I want to get your reaction to this, guys. They SmackDown did two million sixteen thousand viewers, which to put into context, uh, they were down two point seven percent. Uh, but their sixth lowest number of the year, which I found really surprising given uh, no NBA, no NHL on Tuesday night. And you had Bill Goldberg's, like they promoted the hell out of that thing on Monday and all throughout the show Tuesday. I thought Goldberg for one week was definitely going to spike a number and it didn't. It was even less than the week prior. I was very surprised by this number. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised by it too. I don't know. I'm not like we, we see Goldberg a lot, you know, like it's not like, you know, it, it, I don't know, and maybe I'm just old now, but I, I I feel like we saw him not that long ago. I suppose seeing like the number that like Brock did yeah. with with the Money in the Bank, uh, I I feel like you know somebody who is seen less than Brock and Bill Goldberg might have uh, appealed to to the same audience. 
But maybe not. Maybe it tells you the lack of interest in this matchup between Taker and Goldberg as, you know, maybe the audience really just seeing it as, as a match between two old people. Maybe they should have promoted uh, Bill cashing something in. That should have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what would he catch, cash in? Uh, <sighs> career? He didn't do that already? Was he not supposed no, to ever come back? No, I don't think so. Uh, but they could always do that. They could do do these career. I mean, really, they'll 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 do the last time ever matches. Yeah. The last time you'll see Goldberg and Brock Lesnar together, then they'll do the career. Well, that's the question. Do you do you feel that there is um, more to do with Goldberg? Like, do you see them continuing this, or is this going to be? I could see him coming back in one off, and this is it. I could definitely see him coming back for more Saudi Arabia shows. You know, I can even see Sean coming back for more Saudi Arabia shows. If like the that's money's... what these shows are going to be. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be kind yeah. of like fantasy cards of yeah. guys that it's almost like they're not even connected to storyline they'll do their requisite segment which i mean you could argue like goldberg and, and undertaker that was the way to build it versus SummerSlam, where if they were to do this at SummerSlam, how would we build up this match for two months mm-hmm. and get there um versus just one segment each like they don't view these shows as requiring all this television time to dedicate to it but that's what these Saudi Arabia cards are going to be I think it's any name they can figure out that is going to make some uh, fan of the 90s late 90s early 2000s uh, nostalgic that's who they're going to go after the thing is that they've really exhausted those names that I don't know how many more there are out there do you think that's the aim like to to kind of attract an audience like the laps fan who was a fan from the attitude era or is the aim more so to impress the people that are paying for this show oh that is it it is the people that are spending all this money and saying we want the guy in the cowboy hat yeah and jim ross gets flown over there to do a kickoff panel yeah Uh, i think that's very much and yokozuna if they could get yokozuna that would be a a big get that they wanted i believe how about austin um future name he's the natural name you would think of um i really i really don't rule out anything um Austin has been a guy that has turned down so much money over the years to to come back. This is a different level, though. Sean's and, been that guy, too. Well, that's it. I th- I think Sean as well. I, I'm I'm sure if you were one-on-one with Shawn Michaels and the last match of your career was that that horrific tag match last year, that's probably not the... For, for a guy that really did put a high price on the, the artistic side of professional wrestling that he viewed his career in, I, I'm sure that's not uh, what he was looking at. Um, but yeah, I think all those names are the ones that... I'm, I'm sure, like, if they're making requests, Austin and Rock, I'm sure, are two of the first uh, uh, to come out and be requested. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure they've approached both of them, and I'm sure the number wasn't high enough. And then it's going to be a matter of, will they eventually get to the point where they have to? I offer? can't see The Rock doing it. Yeah, no, I, the Rock I think for many it. reasons, uh, The Rock, it would not be um, just a smart move for his career to do, and certainly someone that, you know, the paycheck is nice, but not a uh, difference maker. It's uh, not president money. Not not president money. Uh what else do we have here? Uh, NXT UK TakeOver. They've announced the venue will be at the Motor Point Arena in Cardiff, Wales, August 31st, uh, with tickets going on sale Friday. So this is going against the New Japan card at the Copper Box Arena in London, as well as the same day as All Out. There's also a huge rugby game going on that day. So when it comes to the scheduling of this show, I think it's rightly been kind of maligned here that this was kind of like a, of a misread of the market to be choosing this day. Um at a time when New Japan has sold a lot of tickets for this show, so it's not like you're harming New Japan. They're they're good. I've heard a lot of stories about this, about why WWE might have chosen this particular date. Uh, perhaps they, they got word from an insider that they thought the New Japan sales were low, but then not realizing that they were also selling tickets through another venue and that they were actually doing really well. Um, but someone needs an observer subscription. <laughs> I, I, I look forward to hearing, you know, our friends at the British Wrestling Experience talk more about, you know, this. 
Um, how how do you think you know from an international standpoint the show will do on that day? I think that uh, timing wise, it's I mean it's going to be head to. Uh, I assume that the Royal Quest show. It's going to be interesting if that airs live on New Japan World because some of the shows, like the ones they've done in Australia, they put them up on New Japan World after the fact. So if it's not airing live and you don't have uh, it going head to head, like for me myself, it's not that difficult that I could watch that show and then immediately it's going to end in time for the pre-show for All Out. So mm-hmm. it, I don't think there's going to be crossover. It's a long day of wrestling. Um, We're used to that by now. That's kind of every weekend now. So yeah. I, I don't see it playing a big... Um, significant factor for the worldwide audience but i would say for someone that is in the uk they're not traveling to this show when new japan's an easier show to get to probably might be the better show and it's it's a tough weekend to go to wales if there's already big sporting competition uh, sporting competition that day they were about like seven hours apart six hours apart by car and like in england that's like a world apart um Maybe less, but but still, like it, it is a sizable difference. And I think if there's one place that could kind of support that, uh, certainly with the wrestling fan base, it's it's the UK right now. And I think it would almost be like different fan bases. Like I'm sure there's some people that are going to have to make a decision, but you know, there's almost like the New Japan internet savvy fan base, and then there's like the WWE network network version of that fan, which mm-hmm. uh, you know, mind you, NXT's been having some incredible shows lately, so. I, I do find it interesting that, like, they would decide on this date in particular to either go up against... I mean, it seemed more like New Japan in that, rather than AEW, you know, be... Yeah. No, 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 Paul Levesque said it had nothing to do with anything <laughs> that, that's out there. But it's I think just... it shows you maybe the where, you know, where their head is at as far as competition. And I think you're really ulti- ultimately looking at somebody in, in Triple H who, who thinks of competition as just being healthy. Overall. Ultimately, like, I'm bringing up these points because I think if you have a destination event... I really don't think the date matters. Like, I feel yeah. if you yeah. have a hot event, um, if, uh, if I, I don't think the date should matter. But NXT UK is not knocking them dead. So I, yeah. I, I will see what they build up for this show. But I don't see this being um, the hot show of the day. And it could very well be number three. I'd be more worried about the rugby being the draw because rugby in Wales is huge. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. I, I hear like, you know, parking and like just tourism oh, is going to be nuts already for rugby. Having been there during one of those big rugby matches there, it's like, it would be like being here during like an NBA final type thing. Like it's, yeah. it's massive. So I'd be more worried about that than well, I would Tomorrow's be. on sale is interesting. Like if they have yeah. a week on sale date, um, in terms of tickets being moved the first day, uh, you almost wonder like, do they... Do they recognize this fact and and move? We'll, we'll see. Maybe there's going to be a demand for this. Maybe um, I don't know. Like I I'm not in that part of the world, but like NXT UK to me is like really under the radar. Even if you're mm-hmm. a WWE mm-hmm. fan, like a big fan. Well, I guess I will say internationally, I'm more aware now that this card even exists though because of the fact that it's taking place on the same day as these New Japan and also AEW shows. So in that sense, is that a benefit? I, I feel like I'm more aware of this show than I was about the last one. Yeah, yeah. The, the last show was a it was a it was a good show. I wouldn't say it was. But it was like not a, appointment viewing at all for anybody. Yeah. Um. It was uh, to me. It was like the first big show NXT UK did, and it was like it was kind of a, like a polarizing main event. The the Pete. Do you realize Joe Pete Dunne and and Walter had a match recently? Yeah, he was on TV, and it kind of just came nobody and talked about it. Went, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing: Goldberg versus Walter. That's gonna pop the ticket sales. I don't think they'll Wales. ever do that. I don't see it. <laughs> that would be no, an amazing maybe, match. Maybe Goldberg Matt Riddle. Goldberg, Matt Riddle. Well, Goldberg blocked Matt Riddle. I saw the other day on Riddle's Instagram. Whoa, so yeah. you know they're doing it. The yeah, you know it's building to something. Uh, 
right after we finished the double shot, New Japan, who constantly just screw us on their card announcements, uh, uh, announced the full Dominion card, and we've got it here. So we've got. Uh, do you want to quickly go through this, Damien? Sure. I, w- I want to get some of your thoughts on this. So on top, well, let's go from the bottom. Actually, we got. Oh, wait, open- before you do that, John, I got some breaking news. Oh, breaking news! Jordan Mahal defeats our truth for the twenty four seven title oh. at an airport. Oh, okay. I thought you said. Uh, Breaking news, not broken news. Okay. Uh, no, this also and this is like I know they've done the twenty four seven title first, but doesn't this one feel like? Did you just... say at the airport? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. On the way to Saudi Arabia, I or maybe so. when they landed. I I don't know. Okay. Some of those places, uh, but like, doesn't it feel like this is like very similar to like the recent DDT, uh, hardcore title belt run that they did in America? It's kind of the less uh, creative well, version. Yeah, one. that was a take on the. I know that's what I'm saying. They yeah. did it first. WWE did it first, obviously. Yeah. But I think like, but not nearly as creative. No, as not fun. nearly as creative. And yeah. so maybe this one. I mean the the roll ups and I mean <laughs> underneath the ring, uh, in a photo booth. I mean, there's been some really clever stuff. I hope they give it to a cat too this time. <laughs> Um, okay, so we've got opening up the card on Sunday. Um, John Moxley versus Shota Umino, which I love this as an opening match. I think this yeah. is going to be, I hope it's like 12, 13 minutes. Obviously, Moxley goes over, but I think Umino could really have a great outing with Moxley, who seems like he is uh, just coming out of WWE, so motivated, changing up everything. I was so impressed with him on Wednesday's show. Oh, like the move set he was doing, like he looked like a different guy. Like it felt really like... Yeah, this is like what this is what we wanted. It's really interesting matchmaking, I have to say, for a guy who just recently won won a belt, a who a guy who just recently semi main evented one of their shows, um, and you're seeing kind of John Moxley sort of in in these like, you know, he's like fighting guys with a lot of buzz, and that's not to say Shota Umino isn't, but you know, you just wouldn't think to put him against a young line. But that I think is I what, like it is what makes it so interesting. It's, I remember um, it wasn't this past year's Wrestle Kingdom, but the one prior when they did. Jericho and Omega and Jericho just nailed Umino right in front of his father mm-hmm. and I was thinking like it would be really cool for the next night at New Year's Dash to do 10 minutes of Jericho Umino and they weren't going to do that but I, I like that kind of thing like just to do I think it's great for the young lion doesn't hurt him at, ups his stock to be uh in there with, with a guy like Moxley. And yeah. I think that Umino, he's going to have way more attention on this because Moxley is like the hottest guy out there right now. It is the type of match you would never, ever, ever see in the WWE. You know, no. somebody coming in as hot on the level of a John Moxley fighting, essentially, you know, like a performance center trainee. Like, and that would never go on. But, you know, I, I think you and I talked about whether or not this would be a squash. I don't think it'll be a squash. I think it'll be like a lot of Young Lions matches, quite competitive, a great demonstration of fire from Umino. And probably a great back and forth, at least, you know, um, maybe like, I don't know, 10 minutes. Yeah. That's what I hope for, at least. I think it also shows that he wants to do this, right? Like, remember, that was the whole thing. It's like, oh, is he going to walk away from wrestling when he walks away from the WWE? He's more, like, reinvigorated yeah. now than ever. No, yeah. as much as we talked about, like, coming out of the podcast, like, the parallels you can draw with him and CM Punk, like, he has the complete opposite yeah. philosophy. He's like, I didn't want to be there, but I, like, this guy loves pro wrestling, and his, he has... It's just reinvigorated him yeah. just to be outside. He that got system. to visit the the new Japan dojo. It just feels like he's just got a bucket list of like wrestling things he wants to do again. Yeah, like I even like the comparisons between him and Jericho. You know, like I think, you know, Jericho going over there, he was going to be the guy who's going over there to main event, and that's what he's going to do. Whereas Moxley seems to be just going over there to be a wrestler. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then we have uh, Shingo Takagi versus Satoshi Kojima. Again, I really like this matchmaking that Shingo Takagi, he called for a heavyweight. He's getting one that has credibility with the audience, someone you can sacrifice to Shingo. It's going to be yep. great for Takagi. I'm I'm looking at 
Takagi and Osprey in the G1 now, I think that they're both going to end up in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I find this one really interesting in that it's almost like the reverse of the, the Moxley-Umino match, where you have instead of, uh, you know, somebody trying to make a name for himself in, in a new division fighting a young line, he's fighting a veteran who's kind of on his way down. And I think it's a great use of, of uh, uh, Kojima. I think it'll be a really exciting, probably hard-hitting match where you get to see uh, Shingo kind of demonstrate p- potentially a new style. These last few days, like, I'm really stoked now for this year's G1. I think, like, you're going to have a lot of fresh names in there. Like, I'm expecting Moxley now. I think if you add Shingo and Osprey as first-timers in the G1, you talk about a Brody King that I think is mm-hmm. a real cool <laughs> addition there. Um, there's there's a lot, I think. I think there's going to be a lot of turnover this year in the G1. And we, we know Tamatonga is not going to be in it this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're going to get a loaded lineup. And we're probably going to get all the participants announced on Sunday. It's for these reasons that I I don't know if there's really a place for a guy like Kenny Omega, you know, in, in the G1. Yeah, we were deba- um we'll probably debate about this tomorrow, Damien, <laughs> but uh uh we were discussing like any percentage chance of Kenny Omega being a wild card in the G1 given the fact that he's secu- he's in a multi-year deal with with AEW. This is the last summer he could do it and if they're making a play for Omega, you'd want him for one of the Tokyo Dome shows, if not mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would it be something like he would want to do one more G1 because he may not get to do another one? I don't, I think it's it, probably unlikely, yeah. but I, I don't say 100% on anything. I don't say 100% on anything, especially in wrestling, but I think he's probably pretty content with the run he had in Japan. Like I don't think he's got any unanswered questions for himself. And I, I think New Japan, like the booking's better now than it's been in the last few years with him there. Like, like I think like now they're making new stars. Like it feels like it's fresh again. Like it really feels like it's, you know, obviously that was like some of the best wrestling ever, but like, you know, we knew those faces. We'd seen those faces for years at this point. And now it's it's the upside of like, when you do lose talent, if you're a really smart booker to, to have that next wave and then, yeah, we've lost Kenny. We've lost, we've lost Cody. We've lost these guys, but Man, in its place, we've locked down Kota Ibushi. Mm-hmm. We've introduced Osprey as a heavyweight. We've got Shingo Takagi now in the mix, and we've we've elevated Jay White. And it's not overnight all the time, but here we are, six months into the year, and New Japan. It's like, man, there's a lot of fresh faces and new rivalries that mm-hmm. I, I think like you're booking. Like you should be solid for the, this year when it comes to new rivalries and setting something up. But those dome shows are. Very big ones to peek for. Yeah, it really feels like every time they lose something, they they're able to just be like, okay, well, we've got we've got another piece ready. So Kenny Omega benefited yeah. when when AJ left. Yep. Um, then uh, Jushin Liger, Yoshihashi versus uh, Minoru Suzuki and Zack Saber Jr., which I guess we're just going to continue to tease the Minoru Suzuki Jushin Liger program. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, and Ryusuke Taguchi versus Jay White, Chase Owens, and Taiji Ishimori. And then we get into the title matches. Up first, uh, Taichi defending the never open weight title against Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see what type of match Ishii can get out of Taichi. Um, I think much, it's going to be pretty good. How much fooling around Taichi's going to do before the match even begins? Um, I think they benefit going on at this place in the card and not any later. Who do you think wins? Uh, I think Ishii wins it back. I think they've been like bouncing this title back and forth a little too much. You know, what's the belt gonna like? This belt means nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing to anybody. But I think in order for them to build some uh, benefit to it, I think I think Taichi Taichi should keep it. I did. uh, Did you want to? Well, I just like I like Japan. New Japan's like the best company that does goofy wrestler versus serious wrestler. And when they have those matches, it's always like really fun. 
and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. IWGP tag titles, Gorillas of Destiny, defending against Evil and Sonata. Uh, I've seen know. this match so many times. I know. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> and then the the big three matches on the show. We have the junior heavyweight title, Dragon Lee versus Will Osprey, which is insane that Osprey is coming back four days removed from the Shingo Takagi classic and is going to be expected to have another one with Dragon Lee. So it's mm-hmm. um, I I can definitely see Osprey winning this uh, for sure. I can't see him losing, honestly. Like, you give him that much momentum coming off of uh, Best of the Super Juniors and that match, I, I, he's got to keep this going. With and he goes into G1 as the champion, representing the junior heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. You know, in that press conference, he talked about wanting to eventually main event Wrestle Kingdom as a junior heavyweight champion. And I don't know if that's really out of the realm of possibility for this year, considering they have two shows. Maybe the junior heavyweight title will be the, the headliner for that first show. And under Will Ospreay with the right opponent, but imagine Hiromu coming back for that match. I think that might be able to headline. One of the nights, yeah. Yeah. Then Intercontinental title, Kota Bushi, Tatsuya Naito. Uh, this is their third match this year. And I think you kind of, as as solid as their matches have been, I, I think that this is kind of, you've kind of reached the end of this. And I, I think Ibushi should retain. I, I'm i kind of cold on Naito at the moment. I mean, he was, a lot of people were projecting him to be potentially the winner of the G1. Uh, and maybe he's going to have a tremendous tournament. But he, to me, has been pretty cold uh, outside of some of these Ibushi matches. I just, I don't feel it with him. And I don't think uh, winning another IC title really does anything. And I think it damages Ibushi, who is a fresh name in that main event mix. So I'm I'm looking at Ibushi retaining here. I'm really not sure why this match is happening, other than the fact that, you know, it, it took place in America and it didn't take place in Japan. Um, it's I, a different universe. I guess so. It was like but, an alternate world. I mean, I feel like we I, I've already had my fill of it uh, over the past year, and I certainly don't see anything. Big being... Cass and Enzo are going to confront Ibushi after the <laughs> oh, match. Oh, oh, oh. I certainly don't see Naito gaining a thing with it, so I don't think they'll be doing that. And then the main event, Kazuchika Okada versus Chris Jericho for the IWGP heavyweight title. Uh, do you like this pairing, Damien? And uh, is this a guarantee of Okada retaining? Yeah, I think Okada's dead. There's no way. They're, they're no, there's no way Jericho... Well... I say that as I say it, you know, it, maybe it is possible, but I, I still think it's going to be Okada's belt. And I think eventually, uh, yeah, like I, I, I'm excited for this match, though. I think it's going to be an incredible match. I think I think Chris Jericho's New Japan run has been awesome. Like, I know a lot of people kind of like, oh, well, he can't wrestle like these guys do, but I think he does what he does best. I think he's had some great matches. Yeah, and he New adapts. Japan, and he's made a real big difference business-wise. Yeah, and, he had, and he's one of those guys that just knows how to adapt and knows how to, like, be that guy. All right, let's uh, head to the phone lines. We do have a caller calling in, and then we're going to get to our uh, discussion about this week's edition of The Wrestlers. But uh, caller, go ahead. You are on with Damien. It's MJ from the streets of New York with the sounds in the background. How you guys doing? Damien, pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to Long meet you, listener, too. First time caller. I feel the same way, man. I hear your voice a lot on this show. Um, wanted to... Uh, we talk about how negative like WWE has been lately. And it's really kind of a, reached a point where we're talking about it so poorly that we've lost sight of how positive the wrestling business, the wrestling industry is right now. Mm-hmm. Your conversation, the last 20 minutes talking about new Japan and all the exciting things to come out of it, having all these other shows as options. Like, I think we should spend more time talking about how great that stuff is and less time, like feeling bummed out about how shitty 
Well, we just did, MJ. What do, you, what do you want? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a There's so man. much great shit out there. It it's, it's, and it's not even hard to find. Like, there's so no. much great stuff I, I, I watch I every week. I think part of the problem is because, uh, and, and again, I thank everybody for feeling so concerned for me after Monday. But it's the fact that we, you know, predominantly our coverage is based around the WWE because that's what most people watch. We have a show dedicated to Raw. We have a show dedicated to SmackDown. And often when those two shows are bad, it it kind of makes us sound like we're negative on everything. No, when that's I, I, not want, the case. I want you to be miserable when you hate it. I, <laughs> don't bell curve this stuff. No, I'm not. I'm not bell curving it. I'm just saying, like when we when we talk, like covering the New Japan show yesterday, I think is a world of difference. Talking about AEW two weeks ago was a world mm-hmm. of difference. You know, like there's great wrestling is amazing out there as long Dude, as the you're Takeover not... card that was one of the best cards this year. Yes. I mean, it's like, and that's that's the WWE product to me. It's yeah. it's all the same. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to, yeah. we continue to talk about everything, but you know, um, Mondays and Tuesdays, it might just be a little bit rougher. That's all. And the fact is, it's like WWE is going to be like, those are the shows that the most people are listening to. It's like Raw and SmackDown. That's always going to be what the most amount of people are going to want to hear from us. I, as a yeah, fi- that's true. I, I, I meant it as a compliment that like the last 20 minutes of you guys talking has been awesome. I know. I know. <laughs> just, just feed the ego. MJ. We, we never can hear enough. This is the best time to uh, be a wrestling fan ever. This yeah. is the, definitely the, you know, like since I've been following it, which is the rock and wrestling era, this is the best time ever. Let me just say, I'm amazed at like, you know, cause like, I, you know, we've always talked to Damien and we've always had these conversations, you know, privately about um, like Damien's incredible enthusiasm for wrestling. The fact that you were able to turn that enthusiasm into like a TV show that's been as well received as, as the wrestlers is, is incredible. Really? Like, I, I don't know how it happened. T- <laughs> he made a TV series out of all his favorite things happening in wrestling around the world. And now I'm on the mailing list for every Viceland show, including my favorite, Bong Appetit. Yes. Oh, I get right? notifications about. I've told Damien, it's like, you're, you're going to, maybe you and I should review that. <laughs> there's going to be an incredible I, crossover. No, there's going to be a wrestler's crossover episode where I give you Bong your first Appetit. <laughs> oh, we got some great titles. Anything else in your mind, MJ? Yes. Um, I just kind of taking back on what you're saying, like this time of being a wrestling fan, um, I've been watching the NBA finals and like major props in Toronto and the whole state, the country of Canada, like that, the, the footage the other yeah. night of give, oh, a, give us a week, MJ, <laughs> no. the world will correct. Uh, we worked really hard, MJ. Um, I, I take Fair full enough. credit. The reason I bring this up is because, um, some of the talking points of like in the media following the NBA is that the storylines, it's not about what's happening on the court. It's about whether... Durant and Leonard are going to say it's what's going on with uh, who's missing, who's not. Like it's it's off the course. The Lakers are like a big story of this finals, and they're not even playing. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing in wrestling is like stuff like the Dean Ambrose podcast, stuff like uh, where the next free agent's going to sign or what matches they're going to potentially get booked now. Like that is what's making this time of being a fan so interesting to me. Is that you have things to look forward to that don't even take place in the ring, much less like the in-ring product being as good as ever in these key places new japan aew nxt um and i think it's just again like i repeat myself but we're not focusing as much on how awesome all that is you guys just did um i'm listening to other podcasts too like they're starting to talk about other aspects of the industry i think like broadly people are getting sick of just being negative all the time and uh, there's a lot of good going on i wanted to be positive for once yeah, no, it's it's an interesting point as well that you have now in, in AEW and New Japan as well, that it was something that's kind of been lost about like a talent, like on their own decisions to be able to now show up somewhere. And it's like you get like a reset. It's what is John Moxley going to look like? What's his gear going to look like? What's his match style going to look like? In mm. And it's not the case of a guy that 
uh, got fired and he and he's going somewhere else. It's you know it's it's that that jumping nature that the WWE has has failed to be able to recreate with the the shakeup, but we get the legitimate version now. And I think that's like an exciting part of wrestling to a lot of fans is to see a character you're deeply familiar with. And now you're putting them into a whole new world and seeing new matches, a new look, and it's a true reset. And that's like a fun part of wrestling for many people seeing new matches. And it's a, it's a refresh. I think it's always like, you know, look at the attitude era. The attitude era wasn't great because of the in-ring product. Like I think your reviews for years on review away really drove that point home to me. I think it was amazing because of the meta community stuff that was happening around it that you could you'd be following like is this guy going to show up here what's going to happen and it was like a time when we we brought the outside world into the world of wrestling as fans and like you know and the companies then reacted to it and made it part of the storylines that happened again with the CM Punk pipe bomb and now it's happening with the John Moxley stuff and we really feel like it, it feels like there's this sort of like excitement out of wrestling that has you know, something to do with what's happening in the ring, but also has something to do with just sort of like the excitement of community. The difference with the pipe bomb, though, is that there really was no alternative. What you were yeah. seeing was a rebellious voice within the system that mm-hmm. really had no place to go. I mean, for Punk, the place to go was UFC. Mm-hmm. But now um, you're you can actually, you know, well, again, we'll see what what happens. But it really feels like there's a place for those distant franchise people to go to. Thank you for the call, MJ. Let's go to uh, Hanzi. What's up? Yo, what's going on, guys? Hey, Hanzi. You're on the line with uh, Damien as well. Yo, uh, yo uh, I want to ask Damien real quickly because, yo, um, Viceland doesn't come on Rogers anymore, right? No, it doesn't. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just wondering, is there a way I can watch like, – if I watch on the website, is there a way? I, I kind of do want to see the document. I see the trailers for it, and I feel bad that I haven't watched it yet, and I just don't know how to uh, – you know, get a hold of that. Are you asking one of the show's creators how to pirate his own show? Is that what you're trying <laughs> no, to be polite and ask, Hanzi? No, no, no. I, I, I heard Vice l- l- lets you play it on their website. Is that tr- I haven't checked, though, but can you do that? They do, but they, they geo-block it, unfortunately, for Canada. It's going to be coming out later on in Canada. There is going to be a release date for it properly here. Uh, there are ways to watch it right now. None that I can uh, recommend, unfortunately, but there are definitely <laughs> ways to watch it right now. Okay, that's cool. I I got two questions for uh for, and and I hope all you guys can answer this. The first one being, um, do you guys see with the Saudi Arabia show coming up again? Right? Do you foresee? Because the only person who seems in the mainstream to even uh, even touch this is John Oliver. Do you think? Because he does uh like shows where they where they uh touch upon something that he did before. Do you think with this Saudi Arabia show and even like the whole Ashley Mazzaro controversy, do you think he will touch upon this again or or do you think it's going to be a dead issue again? Um I could see him doing another wrestling story. Um but he's about the only one I could really see. Um I could see it being a little early. I mean, I certainly see like somebody like Hassan Minaj uh, on on Netflix doing doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, um, I do feel like maybe it's a little bit too soon, and that not much new has developed for yeah. them to do an update on it. Maybe you know by the time the next show comes around, perhaps. It's also like I remember like kind of looking at kind of like what last week tonight, like what their viewership is like in that particular week. It's not like that was one that like. It was like this giant explosion of viewership for a wrestling themed story. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that that is, you know, it's, it's, it's an element to look at. But I, I don't know. Like, it, the thing with that show is that they will take some very, like, non sexy topics and try to present them in a, in a really entertaining way. So I, I don't even know if the subject matter is necessarily going to 
scare them off or anything. But you're right. It was only March that they did that story. I don't know if they're going to revisit another uh, significant portion to more wrestling topics. It's kind of part of the frustration of of, of the fact that, uh, that this deal is 10 years long. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, and, and I think with the WWE kind of being so steadfast in like wanting to continue with it. I worry that there's going to be just a feeling of like helplessness and that, you know, audiences and even critics might eventually just kind of tire of it and, and give up realizing that they're not really going to change anything. Well, also probably WWE's looking at them disappearing in journalists and is like, are we going to back out of this deal and risk that? Like they can make you disappear. Like we don't want any of this headache. Well, that was, I mean, the story with like, um, with um, uh, WME and they were set to get like a $400 million um like buy-in by the uh, in Saudi Arabia and and you had um Ari Emanuel pretty much like nullify the deal and apparently had like protection around him but like here's a guy like as much as you can say about like a business deal like here was someone who really took a major stand and this was like an enormous amount of money that they were returning and canceling a deal over which is not something that's very easy to do, and you could probably just, like the WWE's response was, "Hey, it's a it's a business deal, and we have to honor the deal." Here was someone like they were trying to buy like an ownership stake in, and they were able to nullify that. So I, I think like that speaks volumes right there of what the UFC's parent company did. And but when you're and just back to what you're saying about John Oliver, I probably didn't move the needle as far as ratings went. But I guarantee you that segment has been shared more online right. than and, any of their average And with segments. HBO, too, I mean, it's much more contingent on subscribers, subscribers versus yeah. just simply viewers. Yeah, and I think that, like, I think right now, and I've known this forever, you've known this forever. We used to talk about this when you were still with Fight, you know, like, wrestling moves the needle. Like wrestling, when I would have wrestling on much music, we would get better it's not ratings. What they told me in way at the no, end. I know exactly. <laughs> they don't get it. They didn't get it. And now I think because of Dark Side, because of hey, that's not true. Because they ended up buying a wrestling company. They ended up buying a. You're right. They did get it. They just didn't get what you guys are saying. But that was to their detriment. But I think that because like wrestling moves the needle. So I think John Oliver, they'll probably do another wrestling story sooner rather than later. I think sure. Linda McMahon. Uh, working for the Trump re-election campaign could be something they want to talk about because that's the story people are saying now. So, yeah, I, I definitely sense like there's a lot less kind of focus on this show that's coming up Friday as compared, and and I didn't expect it to be the same as the November show because that was just such a a lightning rod of controversy that they were riding, deciding to go ahead with that show in, in the way in which they did. So, uh, like exactly a month removed from the murder. Thank you for the call. Oh. Oh, okay. yo, yo, uh, wait, just one, one more question quickly. I, I, I want to get your guys' take on this. Who's, uh, what one podcast would you guys be? Because after this whole Moxley thing and this whole punk thing, right? Which, um, for each of you guys, which one guy or, or girl are you looking forward to after they leave WWE to do kind of like what Moxley podcast is? Like, Sammy which one Zane. of you guys? Oh, yeah. for sure. Okay. okay, cool. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. I thought he was going to ask, what podcast would you like to see John Moxley do next? I thought that was a good question. And I was going to say, OSW review. That's what wow. I want to guess. I want to hear him on Bella Brains. Oh, man. Could you imagine that? Uh, Moxley's mind. With Renee Young as the host. Oh, yes. Renee Paquette, maybe, for that episode. Or Renee Good, I guess, is what she goes by now. Yeah. Um, let's let's chat about this episode as we uh we're not expecting to go 50 minutes deep here before we got into this you've got to go very soon so let's uh quickly chat about the stardom episode and uh, we can go long we can go long well it this was uh, like a really fascinating episode because you're talking about a lot of people that i would say 
95% of the people listening to this know these names by name and in-ring abilities only, specifically Mayu Iwatani, who, mm-hmm. um, when I first saw this episode, when it like fell out of the sky off a satellite signal and aired on my TV a year and a half ago, uh, I was blown away by this because it's the backstory of Mayu Iwatani that I never knew anything about, like no mm-hmm. inkling about this. And it's just interesting, like just her like hesitancy to even talk about it, about something happened in my teenage years that involved the police and I had to, I became a recluse over it and clearly had like psychological issues from it that led to her running away from home, not talking to her parents as she set off to become a professional wrestler. Like mm-hmm. what, um, so much to unpack, like with this woman. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it was incredible how open she was. And then, and it was really hard to, to talk to her. She didn't really want to do interviews with us. Like we, we tried to get her several times to kind of sit down and talk. We had pre-interviewed her, so we knew she wanted to do the interview, but just when it came time to actually talk, she wasn't that interested. I think that's why she's such an amazing ace for that company to now have, because she is so reluctant to be in that role. Like she really doesn't, you know, seems like someone who would have been very content just to be able to wrestle because she loves that. That's, you know, she's one of the best in the world. Yeah. Um, like but, I really question like the, the like loyalty being such like a dominant um, trait in, in specifically in Japanese culture. Um, if a WWE came calling, I don't know. Like she seems like she is very indebted to Rossi Ogawa. Definitely, I don't know if that would be such an easy decision for her to make. Yeah, and I think also like you know her having to step up speaks volumes to that because I think the reason she has stepped up and the reason she's dealing with. You know, like every time she went out before those matches, you see her backstage. We were shooting with her backstage. She looks terrified about, you know, not wrestling, but I think it's just being in that spot, you know, being that person out there every time, every show. But the company was in a in a reeling, you know. Uh, Iru, Ayu Shirei had left. Uh, Kerry Hojo had left. So there was like a uh, a real gulf that she had to step in and fill. Ayu had came back by the time we were there because mm-hmm. she had that injury, but it was pretty clear that this was just going to be a temporary kind of return. Did you uh, intend on interviewing her, or was it always Mayu? We tried to. Well, she wasn't involved in the picture when she'd already right. she'd gone the first time to WWE at that point, and so she was not in the picture. So we were like, Mayu was the person we wanted to talk to. Mm-hmm. By the time we got to Japan, she had come back, but it was very clear that it was just going to be a temporary stay. And uh, <laughs> there, I don't know. We we wanted to talk to her, but it just was never made an available option. I thought you guys did a great job of, you know, maybe t- talking about the fan culture of a company like Stardom and how different it may be from a New Japan mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, next week you'll be talking about deathmatch wrestling in Japan and how different those cultures may be. And specifically, you know, you mentioning that um, it, it was predominantly male audience. In fact, Chris Wolf saying it was something like 90, 95. Yeah. I just want to say, I feel so bad for Todd Martin. Cause he was actually at the show and like, he was like the first, like he was in the first shot that you see after, like they talk about that. I'm like, Todd, like poor guy goes to Japan like one time and gets caught in this like scene of like, well, I would have been oh, one of those guys too, too. Yes, right. Yes. And like, I will be one of those guys yeah. when I go to Japan, I can't wait to see stardom, but, um, you kind of also honed in on like the idea that maybe it was a little bit weird that, you know, you, they have a 14 year old wrestler that like, mm-hmm. you know, men are paying money to take pictures of and, and buying autographs of like scantily, scantily clad um, uh, performers in. Um, did you kind of gain new perspective on that? How do you feel about that now? Um, I definitely, it feels a lot more innocent there, you know, and if you go to a lot of big American, all women Indies as well, the audience is different than you'd expect mm-hmm. to, right? Like 
I, I kind of, I guess, envisioned sort of like a all Japan women's 80s, 90s audience, which was a lot of young girls, you know? Like, I kind of thought that's what it was going to be like, these sort of like teen idol kind of... And they had like the end date. Like, once you yeah. reach a certain age, you're, you're done. Go- you're done. You're, you're done. But it was also like the product was definitely appealing to young women. And I think the wrestling is the exact same. The culture is the exact same, but the audience changed, you know, and I'd be fascinated to kind of like, I'm not an expert in the history of Joshi by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd be fascinated to try and pinpoint that moment where it went. Cause it was originally, it was all men when it was like trying to be pitched as sort of like this sort of like strip show sideshow kind of thing. And then it shifted to women in the, in the seventies and eighties and into the nineties. And then it shifted back because now like, yeah, Chris Wolf, I think was being generous with 95% men. I would say sure. like 97%, 99%. Yeah, and she, it was really interesting to hear her talking at the time with you, and this was around 2017? Yeah. And talking about, I don't know if I, uh, if this is what I want to do, because I want to do everything, but I put so much work into this, it'd be hard to really just start from scratch, and we fast forward, she had her retirement match not all that long ago, and was, you know, concerns with, like, concussions, mm-hmm. and has now moved on, and we'll see if she ever comes back to wrestling, but um, now taking that step away to whatever is next on her agenda. Yeah, she was a re- someone really cool to meet, because, you know, you're meeting a lot of these uh, people that got into it as young, young people. You know, they were training at 14, they were fans, you know, mm-hmm. they got, their parents were fans, they were raised with this. She got into it knowing nothing about it. You know, like she yeah. makes it pretty clear that her knowledge of American wrestling was fairly limited at the time. And so her knowledge of Japanese wrestling was non-existent. I find it re- actually very similar to like, you know, experiencing um, like through training with jujitsu. A lot of people training jujitsu in particular, like women training jujitsu that really like had never seen the UFC before. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like something that seemed fun to do. And uh, you look at what wrestling is and I, it, it definitely makes sense, like colorful costumes just, you know, being able to kind of like exert a, a level of energy and a level of like, you know, physicality that I guess women traditionally aren't really expected to. Mm-hmm. I could see that appeal. I, I, I thought the, the show also did a great job of like talking about some really broad Japanese concepts that I really didn't expect to be brought up. Like in kawaii a show culture. Kawaii culture and also the, the uh, senpai kohai system yeah. in Japan, which is essentially kind of their, you know, um, master and student system that they have all throughout their society. Yeah, no, it really, it, it, and once again, hats off to Jeff and Nathan. Mm-hmm. Like, these were things that kept coming up. And, you know, like when you're, when you're around wrestling, you take some of this stuff for granted. When you're around this, you know, Japanese culture is like an outsider observer, you begin to take some of this stuff for granted that you just know it. But then when you actually have to kind of try and explain it to someone, you're like, oh, we, we need to kind of get into this a little bit more. And uh, I needed to learn how to say it. Um, how how sensitive did you detect um, anyone you spoke with, specifically Ogawa, regarding the the Act Yasukawa and uh, Yoshiko incident from 2015? And if you want to just quickly provide yeah. the Coles notes of what that was, yeah, that was a an incident that happened in Japan where there's still like a lot of speculation about why it really happened. No one really knows. Uh, some people have um, think it was a senpai koai. Uh, situation where someone was stepping out of rank, and, and Yoshiko the, just like brutalized. Yoshiko brutalized Act. Yeah, like Act. It, it is. It you you. Why would you want to watch it? I don't know. But if you do want to watch it, it, is on YouTube. It's a very long, really hard watch. Like I think it's probably the hardest wrestling match to watch. And like uh, we've all done the deep dives on the YouTube wrestling matches that turned into shoot fight things, and this is one of the ones that I I really struggle to watch yeah, every this, time. Uh, the, to put it in perspective, like uh, Act suffers like a broken cheek. 
uh, broken orbital bone, uh, like ended it, like, up retiring. Yeah, she yeah. was just completely messed up from the from this incident. Yeah, and she's still around Stardom. Like she does come around Stardom once in a while. She's like a, a manager. To yeah, no, no, just okay. more like manager type role, uh, out of ring kind of role. But she is still around Stardom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it it was something that um, I definitely was really interested in trying to figure out about. Uh, it was you know like something that we were not we were kind of like. When we, every time we brought it up, it was like, no, don't bring it up, don't bring it up, and then we didn't even bring it up to who told well, you? Who told you not to bring it up? Uh, we had like conversations in the beginning with different people in the office that okay. were like, yeah, just don't, don't, and so we're like, okay, well, like you know, like this isn't the direction the documentary is going to go. Then we clearly mm-hmm. will take it another way. But then, uh, well, well, it's interesting. Uh, it kind of bleeds into like what you were talking about, like with the these women that are presented as these women without flaws that are presented as like very much like these, uh, these models of perfection. And I think very much the company wants to be presented in the exact same way. And this is like a blemish on their history and a very public one. Absolutely. And it's also, I think it's a perfect analogy for like the two streams of Joshi wrestling, which combine, which is sort of this sort of like, you know, stage, screen, stardom, idol thing, which act embodied, and Yoshiko uh, was the the brutality. Yeah, the, like the gay girls documentary yeah. type of like, you know, like traditional Japanese hard training type of thing. Yeah. So how did you end up like being able to... Act- he brought it up. Oh, okay. We didn't bring it up at all. Oh, we got to his pl- We got to this place and we saw that he had... Um, he had a photo on the wall and we're like, that's very interesting. And then he actually brought it up to us. Wow. We, didn't, we didn't bring it up. Um, yeah. And we were like, you know, we're, we're grateful that he did. And I, I think it is obviously a blemish because someone was career was ended, but at the same time, it also is a, 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 a huge part of their history and, and represents a huge moment in their history. But one, I can understand why they want to steer away from it. But at the same time, I think it is part of the history that, you know, needed to be kind of acknowledged in some way because it was a shift in the culture in that re- in that place you know it began an exodus of like it basically shifted the roster yeah totally shifted the roster and also shifted just the way the company what the company decided to be you know and the company's constantly shifting like i think ogawa san comes off as like a little uh cold like people oh, have come definitely. to me and said that to- i mean you have chris wolf saying you know i don't know how much he cares for me as a person he's yeah. more of a businessman yeah and the fact that like he's so kind of brutally like honest about one of the wrestlers at, uh, at the end about his critique of her on camera yeah seems to suggest he's one of those types of guys yeah you know? he's definitely pretty brutal in his critiques and pretty honest but i think that's because he loves the wrestling business more than just about anyone i've ever met and he views it as a business definitely mm-hmm. but he loves it like he was telling us stories about picking up mil maskers from the airport and driving him around and just how honored he was to get to do that and just like going through his lucha collection and telling us like you know we're talking about going to totacon and buying just like oh yeah i bought this for you know all this money and he lives in this tiny apartment it's not like he's a baller just deciding to throw his money into this thing like this is his life like he loves this so much and his house is just full with stardom it was amazing going to you know gabe's house and there's nothing about wrestling in it like nothing at all and then you go to ogawa's house and it's just everywhere it's just consuming you I'm almost like wishing like Viceland would have like the, at the end of the series, like the reunion show where you have like all these figures on stage together. A round table? Jun, Jun Kasai, <laughs> Gabe Sapolsky, Rossi Ogawa, and then you're the moderator. Uh, that would be amazing. Well, StarCast, uh, Conrad, if you're listening, oh we, got a, the panel. we got a panel. The fighting Cholitas, like in one end. I, I hope one day to have a match with all of them. There's like a, a card with everyone all mixed together. I hope so too. I know, I know you had kind of talked about 
The dream. The dream. The dream. Well, maybe maybe one day. How, how did you feel at the end? Because you kind of um, voice kind of your concerns about like kind of the objectification of a lot of these women that are kind of put on display and, and getting like an awkward vibe from this. Did that change at all after this experience speaking with the women? Uh, I myself, like I found it really difficult to hear from Azumi and, you know, the criticism, not even criticism, but the expectation level she'll get from fans that believe like they like you must have an outstanding performance and Mm -hmm. the level of expectation. Like it's not even typical Twitter criticism. It's just uh, this, this pressure that is put on some of these women and some that are at an age where that should not be anything that they're concerned about. And it's, it's more public than ever now with, with something like Twitter, for instance. Yeah, definitely. I found it like, you know, even at the end, like I I didn't walk away from it being like, well, I'm cool with this now because, because you know, their bodies are going to be broken. Like Chris Wolf, is illustrative of that. And like the fact that most of these people, you know, they did have an age limit in all Japan pro wrestling. But from what I heard from a lot of these wrestlers, there's also like an age limit now because your body's just going to be broken down. Like Fuka, she, she's now just the host because she can't wrestle anymore. Her body's just not, not up for it. She said, well, I wondered like if there's a maximum age limit, should there be a minimum age limit? Yeah, I think so too. But then it like, you know, it's, it's weird and it's, it's kind of uncomfortable because we don't see it in North American wrestling. But it's certainly no weirder and no more uncomfortable making than teen, like little kid beauty pageants and things like that. Like we do a lot of things in cultures around the world to our children in the name of entertainment that aren't necessarily the most positive things. Like um, now, is it entertainment though, or is it just simply somebody following their passion? I mean, I'm not talking about beauty yeah. pageants, but like you know, a kid wants to take up skateboarding, they can take up skateboarding. But for this kid, it happens to be professional wrestling. Yeah, and, and, like, and taking bumps too. Like what what kind right. of impact? Like the the trauma you're delivering to your oh, body from 14 to 19, that is, is that going to be something that like, look at Paige, for instance. Yeah. I mean, here she is retired at this very young age and that, someone that started it at such an early age. Then look at guys like Rey Mysterio, though, you know, uh, yeah. all these other guys that, that, that are able to train from the young age to become the persons that they or are. Or Joey Janela, like people that we celebrate because they started training at 16. You know, like I think 14 is younger than 16. I will definitely admit that. But I think at the same time, it's, that's a fact. Yeah. It's an inarguable fact. But at the same time, I think, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. It it definitely, I didn't feel better about it, but it's also just such a part of Joshi at this point. Like, there's, you know, it's been going on forever. These young kids, like, was it the Crush Girls after they had that huge year? They had 2,000 applications from young women to become pro wrestlers or something. So it's, it's, it's like this call that certain kids in Japan hear. What do you think is, is the future of, uh, Joshi? pro wrestling in North America specifically because I think AEW with Double or Nothing Mm -hmm. you see Kenny Omega uh, putting that show on and I think in my opinion like being one of the matches that stole the show do you see this product being able to directly translate to North American audiences? Stardom did a show recently in in Wrestlemania weekend Mm -hmm. Um, it would be interesting to see how it translates like I think there's certain stuff that wouldn't translate like I think the which are you know, key parts of stardom, which the audience really wants. Like, I don't think the wrestlers want to do the song and dance numbers, but the, I would love to see that. Are you kidding me? The that audience loves it. Yeah. The, the crowd loves it. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see how it would translate like those elements of the show too. It, I was also, I'm also fascinated what's going to happen now that it is, if it does become popular in America, how that affects its popularity in Japan, because it was not as popular as I would have thought it would have been, you know, like in these, you know, for how good the wrestling is and for how amazing that show is, I wanted Corgan Hall to be sold out 
to maximum capacity. What was capacity? It was, uh, I don't know. It was definitely, they didn't have the backstage open, like, you know, the stage mm-hmm. on the hard camera side. Right. And they didn't have the... Because um, that's like an 1800 venue. Yeah, like full yeah. Capacity. They can like open it up to different things. It was definitely packed for what it was, like where just the back half was open and the panels, you're like, you know, you can see yeah, in the yeah. episode, it looks fairly full. But yeah, like it just, that was that last wrestling match is one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life. Like just like the level of brutality, just like when Mayu's being like hung over the entranceway, it's just everything about that match was fantastic. And it just, um, yeah, like I hope it gets more popular in Japan. Like I really would love to see it get back to that stage where they're able to sell out stadiums with it. Next week, you're going to be doing uh, the death match episode. Yes. Uh, so this is airing, of course, the wrestlers Wednesday nights, 10 Eastern on Viceland. Uh, yes, this is... Uh, Staying in Japan? Yeah, you will be in Japan yep. for a portion of this. With yep. a, a big interview. A big interview, yeah. There's some There's some amazing guests on this one. This is, I don't know, I think this might be my favorite. If I, like, mm-hmm. the Congo one, which is coming up, that's probably the favorite. But I, this one is just something about getting to meet the people I got to meet. This is the one that I was like, grinning ear to ear throughout the whole thing. And I'm not even the biggest Deathmatch fan. Probably Can like you- the most, like... Um, like most prominent interview I've ever seen with Onita that's like translated to English. Yeah. Like it was, and it's weird because you know, like that to me is the Ric Flair of Japan, like, or maybe Ric Flair is the Onita of America. Like the stories you hear about this guy are just out of control and just, he's got that presence. Like that, that is a, uh, that's a rock star. He's really intriguing in it. But to me, the star of next week's episode is June Kasai, which we'll, we'll chat about next week when, when you're on the show, but it's, it's, um, yeah, an episode I definitely recommend if you've been enjoying the series so far. Oh, I, I, I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Oh, I can't wait to make you guys watch this violence. Well, Damien has a flight to catch. He is off to uh, to Portugal. So I want to thank you for stopping by at the cafe hangout. It's always great to uh, catch up with you, Mr. It's, Abraham. It's an honor anytime I get to come by. You, you know, the cafe is just right around the corner from my house. So anytime you want to come to the vape lounge, you the let door me is, know. The door is always open, except it, for right now when it is technically closed. <laughs> uh, but way we will be back on Friday with our... Super Showdown Review. We're going to be joined by a number of guests, including uh, Will Cooling and Kareem Zidane. And this one, everyone will be able to not only listen to, but also watch. Yeah, and uh, we want to do this especially just because uh, we want to hear from you guys. We're leaving. We're not really leaving that much room for guests, but maybe more so room for phone calls from people who not only want to talk about the show, of course, but everything going on uh, with the WWE's deal. Heavy caller show. Yeah, so uh, that's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash postwrestling. Subscribe there uh, as well. You can uh, listen to it afterwards. And then coming up this weekend, we've got uh, two new editions of Cruel Summer with WH Park. He's going to be chatting the 1993 G1 final on Saturday morning and then the 94 final on Sunday morning. And then we have a UFC post show on Saturday night with myself and Phil Chair Talk. And then Sunday night for patrons, Way and I will be back reviewing Dominion. Damien, I hope you tune in. I, I can't wait, guys. I'm going to be listening to you guys on the planes. So go check out postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com. Tune into The Wrestlers Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern on Viceland. Anything else, Damien, that you got cooking for us? Find me on at Left for Damien and check out Turn Out a Punk this week because I got Wiccafe Springs Internal. From the Cro-Mags? No, from, from, uh, from the Goth Boy Click, one of the inventors of Emo Trap. Actually, the, the pioneer of Emo Trap. I think you should and, have someone from the Cro-Mags well, on. Massive Evolve fan. More of an Evolve fan than anyone in the Cro-Mags is. Definitely a huge, huge Evolve fan. Huge, huge Darby Allen fan. Did just did a Darby Allen collaborative shirt. So I bring it full circle to wrestling, John. I'm not going to leave you out there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Damien. Uh, that is it for us. And we will speak with you all on Friday. Friday.